Good evening, church family. Uh, this is Wednesday, April the 8th, and uh, this is Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter Sunday. And uh, we are not able to meet together this week. And uh, normally, during this week leading up to Easter, on Thursday evening, we would have a special Maundy Thursday uh, communion service uh, in which we remember the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples. But just because of the unique situation that we're in with this quarantine, with COVID-19, uh, we are not meeting together as a church. And uh, therefore, we will not be able to partake of communion together as the family of God. And I, and I believe that communion is intended to be uh, taken part of together as the family of God. And so we will wait. And uh, when we are able to uh, join back together and uh, meet as the assembled church, then uh, we will partake of communion together in remembrance of our Lord. Uh, but uh, since we are not doing a Maundy Thursday service, I thought that I would just uh, share with you uh, a passage from the Gospel of Matthew uh, tonight. And uh, this passage from Matthew comes from uh, the final week of Jesus' life. Matthew has already described uh, Jesus uh, coming into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. And now this is uh, sometime during that final week uh, of Jesus' Uh, life before his crucifixion. And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 21 that I wanted to reflect on just for a few minutes with you tonight. And I hope that it brings um, significance uh, to you individually, to your family, as we think about the ministry of the Lord Jesus during this holy week. The parable comes from Matthew chapter 21, in verse 33, Jesus says, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. 
anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the short time that we have this evening to meditate on your word. And Lord, as we read and think on these words of your son, the Lord Jesus, may we think on the importance of his life, his ministry, and the significance of these events during this final week leading up to Passover. Uh, Lord, this is the culmination of your salvation plan. And Father, may we reflect on that tonight. Lord, may your spirit open our eyes to receive uh, these words of Jesus. We pray in, in his name. Amen. This parable of Jesus has some fairly clear uh, connections, some allegorical links that uh, we can easily identify. And so this parable mentions a landowner. And in the parable, the landowner can be none other than God. God is the one who owns it all. He owns everything. Uh, but this parable also mentions a vineyard that this landowner planted. And that has specific Old Testament imagery behind it. Uh, going back to Isaiah chapter 5, as well as Psalm 80, verses 6 through 16. Uh, both of those passages in Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80 uh, describe Israel in this language of being God's vineyard. And so God is the landowner. Israel is his special vineyard that he has planted. And in Isaiah 5, as well as here in this parable, you can see the meticulous loving care that the landowner uh, put into the, the, the making of this vineyard. And so you can see uh, he, he planted a vineyard, he put a wall around it to protect it, to keep wild animals out of it. He dug uh, a wine press in it, he built a watchtower. So this is something he's putting a lot of care into and something that he believes he will be able to receive a harvest from. There will be fruit that he will receive from this vineyard. And so then he rents the vineyard out to some farmers and moves to another place. Now, again, we don't want to press the algorithm too hard. Uh, God doesn't necessarily move to another place, but God does entrust Israel to leaders to watch over it and to care for it. And those leaders throughout its history have been judges or kings or priests, uh, leaders of Israel who were entrusted with this special care of watching over Israel, watching over God's vineyard and, and cultivating it and bringing Israel to a point where it could produce righteous fruit for God. But in verses 35 through 37, we see a very clear uh, reference to the pattern of Israel's history. And that pattern of Israel's history was not to produce righteous fruit for God, but instead to reject and to mistreat 
God's servants that were sent to them. And so we see in verse 35, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. And who are the servants? The servants in this parable are the prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament were those who were sent by God to, uh, to deliver God's message. To, in the midst of a rebellious people who were involved in pagan idolatry, who were involved in, in unjust acts, unloving acts to one another, the prophets were sent by God to call them back to faithfulness to call them to repentance and to renew their commitment to the covenant that they had with God and to obey his commands. But what did Israel do to those prophets? They rejected them. They not only rejected God and rebelled against him, but they also rejected his representatives, his prophets that he sent to them. And we do have reference in the Old Testament to some of these prophets being stoned and killed. Verse 36 mentions uh, other prophets that came. Verse 36, then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. And some commentators, even some uh, rabbis, uh, have detected in this language, um, or even some, some commentators have detected in this uh, a reference perhaps to the uh, former prophets and the latter prophets. So you have the earlier prophets such as uh, Samuel and Nathan, perhaps even Elijah and Elisha. Uh, but then you have uh, the latter prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, and the 12, sometimes that we refer to the minor prophets. Uh, that's a possible reference. But the point that, Je that Jesus is making in this story is that Israel's history toward God's servants has been fairly consistent. And that is one of rejection. And rebellion. And so the people of Israel have rejected the prophets. So in the parable, the landowner, God, says, well, I will send my son to them. Last of all, he sent his son to them and they will respect my son, he said. Well, who is the son? There can be no doubt that Jesus is referring to himself in the telling of this parable. He is the son. He is the final one. He is the ultimate one that God sent to Israel to call them to repentance, to call them to the gospel. And what are they going to do to the son of the landowner? Verse 38 tells us, when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. This is a reference to the religious leadership of Israel. The scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious leadership of Israel rejecting the Son of God. They've rejected the prophets. They've rejected Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They've rejected Hosea. They've rejected Malachi. They've rejected God's prophets and now in these last days, as the writer of Hebrews says, God sent his son to them and they reject him as well. They do not see him as the Messiah. They do not see him as the son of God. 
they do not receive his authority or his lordship. And instead, just like the prophets before him, they took him out and they killed him. And Jesus is telling this before, maybe just a day or two, but before in advance of his own crucifixion. It's about to happen. It's about to unfold. This story that Jesus is telling is about to come to fulfillment because the religious leadership is about to take Jesus out of Jerusalem and put him to death on a cross, rejecting ultimately God's son. Verse 40, then Jesus asked the question, so what you think the landowner will do when he comes for those tenants? And this is really the amazing part of the story is the people respond. The people respond. Jesus asked the question, what, what's the landowner going to do when he comes uh, to check on things on his land? And the people respond, he's going he's gonna to punish them. Those wretches, those rebels, he's going to treat them harshly. He's going to treat them uh, and he's, uh, with judgment and he's going to bring them to a wretched end, they say in verse 41. And he will then rent the vineyard out to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time, which is a right answer. So the people respond rightly. Yet this is what should happen. Uh, the landowner should reject these tenants. He should punish them and he should entrust it to others who will be faithful and responsible and loyal to his authority. Then Jesus takes their response and he turns it back toward them to bring home the point that he is making with reference to himself. And he does so by quoting from Psalm 118 and a reference to the cornerstone. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So Jesus picks up on the language of the people when the people respond to Jesus' question and they say, here's what should happen, that the landowner should take the vineyard away from those tenants and give it to someone else. Jesus says that's exactly what's going to happen with the kingdom of God. God is going to reject the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, the religious leadership of Israel, and really all of those who reject Jesus, God is going to reject them. And then he is going to take his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he's going to give it to others who will faithfully and loyally serve the Lord in that kingdom. And he says in verse 44, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And again, that has reference to the cornerstone in that passage from Psalm 118 that Jesus referenced. And some commentators have pointed to the fact that in ancient Israel, the way that they would construct their buildings is they would build them up and they, they had these flat roofs and that people would sometimes go up on and they would socialize and they would have a parapet, a little guardrail, if you will, around the roof of the house. This cornerstone was actually like a capstone that went at the top of when it was finished. 
And if this capstone was not placed properly, either too low or too high, it could serve as a danger to those who were on the roof. And so they, if it was not set properly, they could trip over this capstone and that, they could actually tumble over the parapet, over this guardrail, and they could be hurt or, or killed. Also, if the capstone were not set properly, it could actually fall out of place and crush someone underneath on the ground who was standing there. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 44. Anyone who falls or trips over this stone, anyone who falls or trips over this stone, uh, they, will be, uh, they will be destroyed, broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Well, who is the cornerstone? Who is this capstone? It's Jesus. He's the son of God. He is the capstone. And so the religious leadership has rejected Jesus. And so God is going to reject them. And the kingdom of God is going to be entrusted to others. And some in that reference given to others have seen here a possible reference to the Gentiles. Because Israel as a whole rejected Jesus, God brought the gospel and the kingdom to the Gentiles. And there's probably some truth to that here, but it's not just the Gentiles. It's also the Jews who would receive him. So really any Israelites, any Gentiles now who will receive Jesus, they will be a part of the kingdom. But those who thought they were in the kingdom, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they will be on the outside looking in they will be rejected and they will be crushed by this cornerstone. It will, instead of building their lives on it and around it, instead it will be their undoing. They will be judged. And the, the religious leaders understood what Jesus was saying because in verse 45, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And isn't that ironic? They had enough wisdom understanding, to see, to know that this parable was about them. But they did not have the eyes open to see that Jesus was their Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God. He is their Lord and Savior. So they knew it was about them, but instead of their hearts being softened and receptive to this message, instead their hearts were hardened. When they knew it was about them, they bristled up, they hardened and they said, we've got to get rid of this man. And so they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the people because the people held that he was a prophet. But in just a short time, they're going to arrange a scheme with Judas Iscariot. When Jesus is away from the people, away from the crowds, they will arrest him and they will seek to bring him to an end and they will kill him just like this parable described, the killing of the son of the landowner. But in doing so, they are sealing their fate as being rejected by God and the kingdom of God given to others. This parable is about the bringing to completion, the bringing to climax, the culmination of all of God's dealings with his people throughout Old Testament history. God built Israel he entrusted it to, to religious and political leaders who were to watch over and shepherd Israel, but they failed. And ultimately he sent his son to them, but they rejected him also. And so now 
God is going to entrust it to those who will receive it, who's, who by grace, whose eyes have been opened to receive the truth of who Jesus is. And in their lives will be built on and around this cornerstone. So as we, we reflect on this parable tonight, let's just think about the incredible thing that it is that God in this final week, in this holy week, was bringing to culmination thousands of years of his program throughout history. Really starting with in the beginning, let there be light. Starting with Adam and running through Noah and running through Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and running through David and Solomon and coming to this point, God has been bringing it all to this point and now it is going to be fulfilled. Jesus is the cornerstone. And you either reject him and are crushed or you receive him and you receive the kingdom. Jesus is the one, the unique, one and only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the suffering servant who would come into the world. As we reflect on these scriptures this holy week leading up to Easter, let us marvel in the grand plan of God's redemption in Christ and be thankful that he has given us eyes to see and softened hearts to receive Jesus as our cornerstone. May God be praised for his miraculous and providential plan of salvation. May he be praised this week. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and Father, during this holy week, as we think about uh, the, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, for us on the cross, as we lead up to the celebration of his resurrection from the dead, may we stand back and marvel at your beautiful and marvelous plan of salvation. We're thankful, Father, for all that you have accomplished for us in Christ. Thank you for, for lavishing your grace on us that we could see and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior who should come into the world. Thank you, Father, for giving us life in his name. Lord, bless us as your people as we worship you this holy week. And Father, we look forward to, we long for this Lord's day that is coming when we can remember and celebrate the fact that Jesus lives and he lives forevermore for those who are his. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you tonight, and may God bless you this week.